All right, so we're wrapping up our short topical series on relationships tonight, and we are going to be talking about what the Bible says about singleness. Okay, what does God's Word have to say about this? Actually, very seldom talked about, I think, and often very misunderstood topic, um, and for probably most of you, status that, that all of you are in right now. What does the Bible say about singleness? And as we start out, let me just say that I think this is so crucial for us. Okay, I might have mentioned this before, but uh, when I was in seminary, one of the ways that I, I think I was able to get through seminary is that I would ask myself the question, what are they teaching us right now? What am I learning that I'm actually going to have to use in practical ministry later on? And that's not a bad question to ask. That's kind of a smart question to ask. Um, but I think one of the downsides of asking that type of question, right, like what am I actually going to use later on, is that that kind of thinking is that we're sometimes a little too quick to jump to the next thing, right? We think, oh, what, what's coming in the future? How do I prepare for that? And we kind of forget what's right in front of us. We think to ourselves, well, I don't need to study this thing because I'm going to move past it, hopefully soon. And there's other stuff that's more helpful for what I encounter later. And like I said, I know most of you are currently single, and we'll define what I mean by that in a bit. Uh, but I think we can still be a little guilty of that when it comes to this topic of singleness. We treat it as if we need to know like, just enough of what God says. Just enough for, for it to hold us over. Uh, and hopefully we're not here in this status or this state for long. Um, or maybe even some of you, you're not single anymore. Uh, and, we're, and we're much more concerned about all the other good stuff, right? After all, God has said so much about how good and how profound and how glorious, like, marriage is, how it's designed according to Christ's love for the church. And so I think we can kind of forget the goodness of singleness. Well, we're going to be looking at parts of 1 Corinthians 7. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can start to turn there. 1 Corinthians 7 is the chapter, the seminal chapter in the Bible on singleness. And I think, or one of the things that I hope you realize, like right off the bat when we, when we look at 1 Corinthians 7, is that in this passage, Paul is going to address all different categories of people. Okay, he's going to talk to those who are unmarried. He's going to talk to those who are widows. He's going to talk to those who are married. And what I want us to realize, just starting out, is that we're expected to listen to all of it. Okay, just because you're a single doesn't mean like you skip over the marriage part, what, mar or what Paul says to those who are married. And just because you're married doesn't mean you skip over what Paul says to those who are single. Okay, so we're expected to know all of this. And so uh, having, having this biblically informed theology of singleness is so important. It's so important to stewarding your current season of life right now well. It is so important to shaping how you think and how you act and how you respond in whatever circumstances God decides to bring your way. Uh, it is so important in how you understand marriage. Even when you are married, it's important to understand singleness so that you even deeper understand marriage. And having a theology of singleness is so crucial for loving people well. Okay, this is, uh, I think this is one of the reasons why I was uh, pretty excited to preach on this topic, actually, because I think 
understanding a theology of singleness helps us to love others well. Uh, many, if not most of you, will date and you will get married. And some of, for some of you, that might happen sooner. And for others of you, that might happen later. And there will be some of you here in this room also that will reach a point in your life where you wonder why you aren't married yet. There will be others of you in this room who will never get married, whether that is by your choice or whether that's by circumstance. And so as you think about like all these different categories of people, do you know how to love those people well? Right? Do you know what they're going through? Can you understand them? Do you know how to speak to them and minister to them from God's word? Um, Sam Albury, he uh, wrote a really helpful book on this topic called Seven Myths About Singleness. Uh, he says this, he says, singleness directly affects all of us. We're invested in one another, and therefore I need to know what the Christian life is like for you in your situation, and you, you need to know what it's like for me and mine. Okay, so we need to understand each other, right? And that includes uh, learning about this theology of singleness. And so uh, we have a key idea for tonight, and it's this, that singleness is a gift that we should faithfully steward right now for the glory of God. Singleness is a gift that we should faithfully steward right now for the glory of God. And for some of you, uh, that might be a totally new idea for you, if, if you're not familiar with what the Bible says about singleness. For others of you, especially if you've been around church, you might have heard that before, that key idea or something similar to it. And maybe it's like even somewhat cliche, you know that it's a single, or it's a stewardship. You know that you're supposed to do with something with it. Um, but we're going to walk through this key idea, and I'm hoping that as we go through this, that you leave with like a more filled out understanding of what we mean. Okay, and then we're actually going to do something a little bit different tonight. Um, at the end of this message, we're going to have a testimony from Adrian. She's one of our staffers, um, and I'm, I'm hoping that that'll be a blessing to you guys. So let's go through this. Point number one. We're going to walk through our key idea. Point number one is this, understanding singleness as a gift from God. Okay, understanding singleness as a gift from God. Um, so let's start by just defining our terms here. What do we mean when we use the word singleness? Well, the most simple definition is that when we, when we are speaking of singleness, we're referring to anyone who for any reason is not currently married. Okay, anyone who for any reason is not currently married. And maybe that definition expands uh, the people in mind that you had a little bit, right? Those who are single refers to those who have single, or who are single and never been married. It refers to those who are dating, right? You're not married. It refers to those who are divorced, who once were married but are no longer. It refers to those who are widowed, right? Who once were married and then a spouse passed away, and now they're single. Um, realize you were all born single, and many of you might die as a single. Not necessarily because you never marry, but because there might be a point in your life where you're no longer married. Okay, so this is everyone that falls under this category of singleness. And uh, just to start out, I think one very important thing that we have to establish about singleness, according to the Bible, is that as Christians... Singleness also means that we are committed to sexual abstinence. Okay, singleness means that we are committed to sexual abstinence, a, a word that 
uh, you might have heard used for that is celibacy. Okay, we're, we are refraining from having sex outside of the, the context of marriage. And, and that is radically different than singleness according to the world. Right? The world and entertainment and culture will say that oh, singleness is the time for you to, to hook up, right? to not be tied down, to explore, to be loose. Look at what Paul says in verses 8 and 9, 1 Corinthians 7. He says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, 1 Corinthians 7, I realized in my study of this, was, is actually a pretty hard passage. Um, there's a lot of like, interpretive challenges here. And we're not going to go into much of it for tonight. But I think big picture, what Paul is trying to do in this chapter is he's trying to establish a high view of sex, a high view of marriage, and a high view of singleness. Okay, he's trying to establish a high view of all of those things. And part of what was happening uh, in this kind of Corinthian church and in their context was that people were confusing the relationship and even the, the goodness of sex with marriage. And some were refraining from having sexual relations in marriage. Uh, others were uh, seeking sex outside of marriage for, for whatever wrong reasons. And it just got kind of messy. And so Paul is addressing that. And his main point here in verses 8 to 9 is not that like, the, only main, or the main or the, the only practical reason for marriage is to satisfy sexual desire. Okay, that is not what he's saying in those verses. What he is saying is that the only acceptable place for sexual intimacy is within marriage. Okay, um, Pastor Mark Dever, he preached uh, a sermon titled Sex and the Single Man, and he put it very simply, and he said this. He said, the first thing to say about sex and the single man or the single woman is that there should be none. Okay, the Bible is very clear about that. And so why is that important to establish? Well, a couple reasons. One, unlike much of the rest of what Paul says in this chapter, when it comes to this issue of sexual purity and singleness, and when when it comes to where you can experience and enjoy sexual intimacy according to the command and design of God, Paul says it's only in marriage. And this is a clear issue of obedience and disobedience. Okay, this is different than, than everything else that Paul is saying. A lot of uh, what he's talking about singleness and marriage, he says, uh, this is not a command, this is what I'm saying to you. Right? But when it comes to sexual purity, this is a clear command of disobedience and obedience. Um, a second reason I think it's important to establish is because it's helpful for us to acknowledge that this particular reality in singleness is one of the things that makes the experience so hard. Okay, that this particular reality in singleness that we are called as Christians to sexual purity is one of the things that makes the Christian experience of singleness so difficult. Um, I think of those who might be single for, for longer than they expected or those that uh, will even be single for the rest of their lives. And the Bible says about them that as a Christian, that means that you will never have sex. Right? And... Uh, that, is, that idea is completely laughable and baffling to the world. And maybe even for you, like, to be honest, that's, that's a little, like, daunting, right? You're like, oh, I know we're supposed to wait, but hopefully, you know, later on when I get married, 
but it shouldn't be that way. And I, I wish I could spend more time on this, but first of all, we need to realize that life, or like even being human, is not all about having sex. Okay, and of course, like you might not say that you believe otherwise, um, because like you'll scare people, and that's weird. But I think in many ways, uh, directly or indirectly, the world promotes that kind of thinking, right? Whether it's like, oh, make yourself more attractive, or pursue this, or pursue that. Um, it, especially in our day, like the world really does revolve around uh, this experience of sex. Okay, and the Bible shows us that's not what life is about. That's not even what it means to be a human. And then second, we cannot collapse sex and intimacy as the same thing. Okay, we cannot collapse sex and intimacy as the same thing. Now, sex is one means of significant intimacy, but they're not the same thing. And, and hopefully in marriage, um, sex is a means of intimacy, but you can have one without the other, right? You can have sex without intimacy, you can have intimacy without sex. Um, Sam Elbury, again, he has a great chapter on this in his book. He says this, as a single person, I might not know the unique depth of intimacy a married friend enjoys, but there is a unique breadth of intimacy available to singles that married friends would not be as able to experience. Okay, so we can't uh, you know, collapse sex and intimacy together. As a single person, you can experience intimacy. Right, through different means. Now, what do we mean when we say that singleness is a gift? Okay, maybe you've heard that before uh, from a friend, or maybe someone at church has asked you, and, uh, or they, they've said that, like, singleness is a gift. And uh, even worse, maybe someone has asked you the question, hey, do you have the gift of singleness? Which never ends well, okay? Like, don't ask that question. When we talk about singleness as a gift, uh, the only passage in the Bible that actually refers to those two things together is in this chapter, First uh, Corinthians 7, specifically in verses 6 to 9. Okay, so look at what Paul says there. He says, Now is a concession, not a command. I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I think one of the interpretations, or uh, we can even call it a myth, one of the myths about this gift is that singleness is a kind of like spiritual gift in which those who have this gift have this particular ability to be contentedly single, right? Like this, they ha- they're just able to be okay with being single. They don't struggle with uh, sexual desire. They, they're totally able to exercise self-control. Uh, it's just like, it's almost like this superpower that they have to be single. And people think, oh, that's what it means by you have the gift of singleness. Um, those who hold to this interpretation see the gift of singleness as similar in kind to the spiritual gifts, that Paul talks about in places like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, uh, where in those passages it talks about how the Holy Spirit gives varying gifts to those who are in the church. And in those passages, when it's talking about spiritual gifts, uh, some people have some gifts, some have others, and Paul says you're, you're called to exercise your gift. You're called to use the gift that you've been given. Now, there are good people on both sides, okay? 
Um, but I, I think, just through studying this, through reading, I think a more correct understanding of what Paul is talking about when he describes his own singleness as a gift in verse 7 is that he's not talking about some special ability that he has to remain single, but he's just talking about his current status as a single person. His current status as a single person is the gift. Okay, so when he says in verse 7, he says, one of one kind and one of another, I think he's saying that, well, some of you have the gift of marriage because you're currently married, and others of you have the gift of singleness because you are currently single. Um, Von Roberts, he puts it like this, as long as you have it, it's a gift from God. Just as marriage will be God's gift if you ever receive it. We should receive our situation in life, whether it's singleness or marriage, as a gift of God's grace to us. And realize when you read in this chapter, that gift, right, or that status can change. And uh, even, even beyond that, it's not wrong to desire change. It's not even wrong to take the steps to do so. Uh, just as you, so realize, just as you don't have like the right or the, the knowledge to presume, oh, like I'm going to get married someday. You can't presume on that. On the flip side, you also don't need to assume that you're destined for eternal singleness either. Okay, God can change things. And if the opportunity avails itself, Paul actually says in verse 21, you're free to do so. Like if there's an opportunity to get married and you want to get married, then get married. What he says is while God would have you here, while God has you in this current status, realize that it is a gift to be received. And the word that he uses is remain. Okay, where God would have you, remain there. Um, I think kind of related to this, one implication is that if the status of singleness is a gift that's given to you right now by God, then, then we need to somewhat distinguish status from identity. Okay? Singleness is not your identity. Uh, rather, it just refers to your status in relation to marriage. Uh, let me try to illustrate. For example, someone might ask, hey, uh, is so-and-so married? And you would say, no, or he or she is single, right? And that's talking about singleness as a status. But someone can also say, that person is so single, right? Which, by the way, if anyone ever says that about you, that you are so single, um, then something in your life needs to change. (laughs) And it's not your relationship status, something else. Um, What they mean by that is that that's more a matter of describing that person's identity, right? Like, what they mean by that is this person's life is so characterized by his singleness, whether that uh, is, like, lack of discipline or uh, they live in luxury or just all these things that fall under being so single. Okay, so if we want to be biblical, I I think we need to remember that singleness is a status. It's a season. It's not an identity that gives us license to be a certain kind of person. I think the danger of taking singleness on as an identity is that we can forget about all the other relationships that God has placed us in, right? All of the other relationships that he's even, like, obligated us to be a part of. Uh, If we take on singleness as just this, like, defining identity, then we can focus on the relationship, the singular relationship that we don't have yet. And we miss out on the myriad of other relationships that God has called us to be a part of. Right? So, like the church, for example. 
You're called to be a part, a functioning member, or body part of the church. Now, a few more points before we move on. <clears throat> uh, one is singleness is a good gift. Okay, singleness is a good gift. Uh, in verse 8, Paul says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now, let me ask you, does the way that you describe or you talk about singleness give off the impression that it's a good thing? Now, I think uh, oftentimes we can kind of unintentionally but mistakenly talk about single, singleness in reference to our absence of something. Right? We say, oh, you're not married yet, right? You're not married, or you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Right? You're lacking something, and that makes you single. And I think the danger in that is that we skip together entirely just the inherent, uh, intrinsic goodness of singleness. And, and this, was, uh, this idea was countercultural not just in our day, but even back in the time of the Bible. Okay, in the Garden of Eden, remember God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Um, in the Old Testament, your, your status, your utility, your value was largely tied to your family. It was largely tied to your ability to carry on your, uh, your lineage or your family name. Um, you think about how God worked and blessed people. He blessed, he, he carried out his blessing through children, right? Through uh, a family line. And when you read in the Old Testament, that's why barrenness for women was considered a curse. And so uh, what Jesus says here, what Jesus says, and then what Paul is going to elaborate on here, that singleness is good, is extremely countercultural, right? It's extremely upside down. But one of the implications of the gospel is that Jesus changes our social norms. He changes our expectations, including our understanding of marriage and singleness. That Jesus comes in and in the gospel, he gives dignity to those who are single. That their value is no longer defined by like these earthly measures, but in light of eternity. And all these things have been transformed from something that was hated and, and looked down upon into something that has dignity and value in the kingdom of God. Something that is good. And then second, what are we supposed to do with our gifts? All right, so if singleness is a gift, um, I want you to realize that whenever the Bible talks about gifts that are given to us by God, they are ne- never intended for us simply to enjoy them for ourselves but we are intended to use them for the good of others and the glory of God. And whenever the Bible talks about a gift given to us, it's always talking about something that we can use to build up the church. Okay, so that leads us to our second point, which is using singleness as a stewardship for God and others. Using singleness as a stewardship for God and others. Um, so like we said, throughout chapter 7, Paul repeatedly says that singleness is good. He says it in verse 8. He says it in verse 26. Um, he even says that, I wish that some of you were like me in my status of singleness. So he says, I wish some of you were, were single as well, in verse 7. And so, in other words, we need to understand that biblically, there are legitimate reasons why someone should consider a life of singleness. Okay, it's not just like the gift that nobody wants, you know, the gift that no one would ever choose for themselves. 
And for us, it might be hard to imagine that, right? It's like, why would anyone ever choose singleness for himself or herself willingly? Right? Like, this must be imposed, on, uh, imposed upon them, the product of their circumstances. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul says, no, in some ways, singleness is better. Right? Singleness is, should be a legitimate option for some people. There are reasons why it's better than marriage. Uh, in verses 32 to 35, he says that in singleness, you avoid certain challenges and troubles of marriage, and you are afforded certain opportunities or advantages for ministry. Okay, so you avoid certain challenges or troubles of marriage, and you are afforded certain opportunities or advantages for ministry. So look at verse 32. Uh, it says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or unbetrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So just to be clear here, Paul is not like pitting one against the other as if one is inherently better or more spiritual than the other. Um, He's very careful to say in verse 25 that this is not a command from the Lord. This is coming from his own judgment. Uh, Verse 35, he says, I'm doing this for your own benefit. I'm not trying to lay any restraint upon you, uh, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, so either way, the goal is this undivided devotion to the Lord. But what he's talking about here is a matter of divided interests. Okay, divided interests, not devotion. I think how we can think about this is in terms of simplicity versus complexity. Simplicity versus complexity. And as a married person, it's true that you have to be, in Paul's words, more anxious about worldly things. And when he says worldly there, it's not like worldly in a bad way, but it means that you are pulled in different directions as part of the covenant that you made in marriage. And maybe even more so with kids in the picture, right? You have more concerns, more worldly things to worry about. Uh, For example, for me, even though like full-time ministry is my job, it's it's literally what I do for work, uh, I'm still responsible to consider Bree's time and her interests and her needs. Uh, if I were single, I might be able to stay out later and, and go do different things. But now that I'm married, there's someone else's needs and interests that factor into the equation. And that's not like a bad thing. That's not a burdensome thing, but it's a real thing, right? And there are practical uh, needs that I need to keep in mind. And so the advantage that many of you have right now in your singleness is that your time, your resources, your energy are free to be, in many ways, practically undivided to the Lord. You can focus your energies into serving the Lord. And so, are you doing that? Are you, are you living uh, in your singleness for yourself? Are you living to serve the Lord, to give your undivided devotion to the Lord? Uh, a couple more points here about just stewardship. Um, stewardship of your singleness involves not just doing, but growing. Okay, I think this is important. It's not just about what you're doing, 
but also that you're growing. Uh, there's, there's definitely a lot of growing that takes place in marriage. Again, it, marriage, as you may have heard, is incredibly sanctifying. But I think one of the patterns that I've noticed, and um, I'm not saying that it, it should be this way or this is like just exclusive to marriage, but I think one of the patterns I've noticed in marriage and sanctification is that a lot of like growth takes place um, experientially. And what I mean by that is like, you're sanctified because of hard things, right? Because of hard conversations, because of trials, um, or you're learning something for the first time, uh, or growing pains, and all of those things, as you're, especially the first years of marriage, um, you're learning, you're being sanctified just by experience, rather than being sanctified intentionally. And again, I'm not saying like this, it has to be this way or it should be this way. I think this is just a pattern in marriage. And in many ways, the simplicity of singleness, at least relative to to marriage and having a family, the simplicity of singleness enables you more time and more space to really intentionally cultivate your relationship with the Lord and to be growing in godliness. So when we talk about like stewarding your singleness, I want you to realize it's not just about doing things for God, but how can you be taking advantage of this season to be growing in the Lord. And realize that learning and growing now is going to help you later on if God does give you the gift of marriage. Okay, so not just doing, but growing. And then second is that stewardship of your singleness involves, uh, yeah, maximizing on the time and the resources and the opportunities that God gives you as a single person. But it also involves having wisdom. Okay, stewardship involves wisdom. It's not just like going all out, like maximum, 100%. You need to think through what's the wisest decision. And so I think just two specific examples of having wisdom in how you steward your singleness well. One is uh, just be careful about overcommitting. Okay, be careful about spreading yourself out too thin. Um, yeah, invest yourself for the kingdom, like tire yourself out for the kingdom. But at the same time, don't lose sight of the big picture. Life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Okay, so don't be afraid to say no to certain things in wisdom and, and, and because you desire to be a faithful steward. And then second, there are many times and many seasons in which actively seeking dating or marriage don't have to happen. Okay, just because you're single doesn't mean you have to be pursuing a relationship. In fact, there are times where pursuing those things might even be unwise. I think of like major transitions that you might be going through or if you're like really not in a position to get married anytime soon. Like it might not be wise for you to pursue marriage. And so don't just view this stewardship as like something that you like immediately need to get rid of as soon as you get the opportunity. We said you have the freedom to do that, but exercise wisdom in those ways. Especially knowing that there is so much you can still be doing in your singleness. In fact, if you're always feeling the need to be in a relationship, then maybe you need to consider whether marriage has become this idol in your heart. And so uh, stewardship of your singleness involves wisdom as well. All right, number three, last idea here. <clears throat> Accepting singleness as where God has you right now. Accepting singleness is where God has you right now. So back to our key idea, singleness is a gift that we should faithfully steward right now for the glory of God. 
And like I said at the beginning, hopefully your understanding of what we mean by that is more filled out, a little more comprehensive than it was before. Uh, but here's the thing. I think we can have, like, all the right answers. We can have all the biblical prescriptions for singleness. We can know all the passages. We can know what we're supposed to do. Um, we can even know that it's this uh, good thing, right? This good gift that is given to us from God. But the reality is, for, for some of us, singleness is still hard. Okay, for some, they look at what they have right now, and they wonder how their present circumstances, their right now, could really be most glorifying to God. Couldn't I glorify God more if he gives me someone? Right? Couldn't I glorify him more when I'm like no longer struggling with this season of discontentment and bitterness and impatience? Wouldn't that be more glorifying to God? Well, that, if that is where you are, then and, and how can we learn to accept singleness as where God has you right now, even if it's still hard? Right? How do we learn to accept God's gift of singleness? Or if that's not you, how can we as brothers and sisters love others well? Right? How, how do we love those who are asking those questions, who are feeling that way? Uh, just a couple ideas here. Um, one is this. We'll call it the service of the gospel. Okay, the service of the gospel. I want you to realize that eternity completely reorients our entire understanding of marriage, of singleness, and what our purpose in this life is all about. Okay, eternity changes all of that. And like we said last week, marriage is significant, right? It's like one of the most, it's the most significant relationship that you, you will enter into in this, in this life. But it's not eternal, and Jesus says in this life, we marry and we are given over to marriage, but then one day will come and then that will be no more. Marriage will no longer exist. And so in light of eternity, the most significant thing that you can do is to live in love and devotion to Christ. Because that, that is the most significant thing that you can do in this life. The most significant mission in which you can undertake is not to get married and to have babies, but it's to make disciples, right? It's to carry out the Great Commission. That is how we reproduce as disciples of Christ. That is, uh, that is how we leave a legacy of faith. Uh, I want you to look at what Paul says in verses 29 to 31. He says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as, though, as those who had none, um, and, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, those verses are pretty confusing, Okay. Um, he says, let those who have wives live as they had none. Like, what is that about? What is, what, what, Brie? Like, see you later? <laughs> Sorry. No, his point is not that you forget that you're married, but his point is that we live between the times. Okay, we live between the times. He says in verse 31, the present form of this world is passing away. And as Christians, we get to look forward to what's coming, right? We get to look forward to this new eternity. And so while we're here right now, we live in this kind of like already but not yet mindset. 
But he's saying that, yes, what he's saying is that, yes, in this lifetime, we do do all those things that he mentioned. We do marry, we do mourn, we do rejoice and buy and sell and work, and we do have dealings with this world, but we always do it in light of the life to come. Right? We, always do, we always do those things in light of eternity. And so, for example, right now, whether you have money or not is not the end-all, be-all. If you do have money, then enjoy it, spend it, be generous with it by giving it away, but don't grow too attached to it. And if you don't have money, then don't get too upset about it because it's not going to last. It's not real wealth. And so same thing with marriage. If you're married, that's great, right? If you want to get married, that's good as well. Pursue marriage. Do marriage in a way that honors God while you're here. And if you're not, then don't get too upset about it because marriage is temporary in light of eternity. Um, One author puts it like this. She says, singleness is too often seen as the end of the world instead of carefully considered in light of the end of the world. I think, by the way, this is, uh, it's in light of this why I think Paul can talk about this like undivided interest or this undivided devotion to the Lord as this like legitimate advantage for, for singleness, as this legitimate reason for preferring singleness for some. He's not just saying, well, like, if you're not married, there's always church, right? You can, you can do that. You can do ministry. No, in light of eternity, the service of the gospel takes on this significant meaning. It is the most important thing that you can do. I think this is also why over and over again throughout this passage, I think, like, without being dismissive, Paul is able to basically say, you know what? If you're single, if you're married, like, don't stress out about it. If you want to get married, get married. If you want to be single, I think there's reasons why that's better, but it's not a command from the Lord. Right? Like Paul is really able to hold that loosely. And he says, you know what? Just remain where you are. Don't, don't like, get too attached to it. And I think there's a lot of freedom for us there. Right? And that freedom is, is good, but it's also a reminder that we need to hold these things loosely, right? just in the way that Paul did. So that's the service of the gospel, right? We see singleness in light of eternity, and so that reorients uh, what the most important thing for us to do is right now. And then second is the sufficiency of the gospel. The sufficiency of the gospel. So as Christians, we want to uphold a high view of marriage. We talked about this last time. It's a reflection of Christ's love for the church. And in many ways, we are able to honor and we are able to glorify God together in marriage with someone rather than, or better with someone rather than apart. But even though we believe that to be true, we must not miss out on the biblical vision of singleness as well. Right? We must not miss that singleness is honoring to God, that it is for his glory, and that it also demonstrates the gospel. How? Well, if marriage demonstrates to us the shape of the gospel, then singleness demonstrates to us the sufficiency of the gospel. I got that from Sam Albert. He says, if, if marriage demonstrates to us the shape of the gospel, then singleness demonstrates to us the sufficiency of the gospel. Remember, the goal of singleness is not marriage. Even the goal of marriage is not marriage itself. The goal of marriage and singleness and everything is Christ and the gospel and the glory of God. 
And so as a single person, you have this unique opportunity to put the gospel on display in your life to the world and to the church in in particular ways that married people don't. How? Well, in singleness, you're placed in this position, practically speaking, where we're called to find in God those things that, that married people can so often try to find in their spouse. Right? We can so often try to find love and intimacy and security and comfort in his spouse. And in singleness, you really show, no, I find these things in God alone. In singleness, you're proving to a watching world, even if they are like completely puzzled and confused and they can't understand why you do the things that you do, you prove to them that Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer. Uh, Sam Albury, again, he puts it like this. He says, singleness is a way of saying that because I've got the reality, because I've got Jesus, that I don't need the signpost. I don't need marriage. I don't need the model of it if I've got the real thing. And I think for all of us, like, we need to learn more about the sufficiency of the gospel, don't we? It's not like, okay, like, married people, uh, if you're married, go learn about the shape of the gospel. And then if you're single, like, learn about the sufficiency of the gospel. No, all of us need to be reminded of the sufficiency of the gospel. All of us need to be reminded of the shape of the gospel as well. And the beauty of God's church is that we have people in different seasons and different stages of life that we can learn from together. Right? Even if it's not your current season, even if it's your, not your current experience, we have other people that can remind us of that reality. And so we should thank God that there are single people in our churches. And singleness is not a problem to be solved, just as single people aren't just people that we need to find others to match up together with. Right? I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do that sometimes, but we need singles, right? We need you guys. We need single people to learn from and to be reminded that the gospel is sufficient, that Christ is sweeter and better and more satisfying than any earthly relationship that we'll ever experience, even marriage. And it's, we have to realize that it's still hard. And so just one more thought I want to close with. In Psalm 68, 6, um, it says that, that God settles the solitary in a home. Or in NIV, NIV version, he says that God sets the lonely in families. Okay, so he puts lonely people and provides families for them. And so if, if you're struggling with singleness, if it's hard for you, then for all of the things that, that single people might feel like they miss out on, right? We miss out on intimacy or relationships or a home or a family. This verse, Psalm 68.6, it reminds us that God has more than provided, uh, not just through Christ, right, everything that you need, but he's provided through the church. He's provided through God's people. And he surrounds those who are lonely and single with a church family who can surround them and who can love them and who can welcome them in. But here's the thing, here's the challenge for us. Who are those families? Right? It says, God sets the lonely into families. Who are those families? What's the rest of us? Right? We're those families that God has placed these, uh, the lonely and the single and the solitary into. And so even now, I know that like, you guys might not be in the season of life where maybe many of your friends are struggling with singleness yet. But how can you be loving those people? How can you be that family that God has placed them into to those people?
right? And that starts small, right? That just starts by identifying who those people are, um, getting to know them, listening to them, understanding their experience. And it's through that that we're able to love the singles in our church as they teach us about the sufficiency of the gospel. All right, and through that, uh, the gospel is put on display. It's not about singleness. It's not about marriage. It's about the glory of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, kind of in light of that, um, I'm excited to, to introduce Adrienne. She's one of our staffers. Um, and I asked her to share a testimony um, on this, uh, just what this is like for her in her life and her story. Um, and I'm hoping that it will be a blessing to you guys. So let's welcome Adrienne up. <laughs> 